0: In this episode, I interviewed Ashley Jones, who is the head of performance at the Houston Sabercats, which is a rugby team in the MLR. Ashley is a legend in the industry who has worked across the world in uh, multiple countries and has also um, worked in multiple sports, but obviously rugby is kind of his, um, his, his main passion and the main sport he's worked with. So today we talked about uh, quite a bit of things, especially programming-wise, so designing your strength and conditioning programs. Ashley takes a lot of different points from a lot of different types of programs so he has some some west side conjugate style he's talked about using a little bit of tier system uh and a little bit of some some Wendler and really just it's really it was really interesting to hear uh how he kind of takes bits and pieces from each and pieces them together and just how, how his thought process goes when he uh designs programs for his athletes so again whether you're a coach or an athlete honestly this would this would be very beneficial in learning that We talked a little bit more uh, about the the conjugate west side style and how he likes to do that and incorporate to athletes more than just the powerlifting. We talked a little bit about the different types of training he likes to do with that metabolic hypertrophy, strength and power and speed and what are his main focuses during those. We talked about his differences preseason versus in-season. Then we talked a little bit about how he really allows his players to pick the exercises and ways he incorporates that then we kind of finished off talking a little bit more about uh, conditioning and different ways he likes conditioning but just a, a really great episode with amazing amounts of knowledge that uh, Ashley was able to give everyone so again whether you're an athlete coach anything this just this is, this is just how he thinks of designing his programs and the benefits he has and talks about for him it's a really great and really great to hear so here it is welcome to No Weak Links with Patrick Wood. The purpose of this podcast is to help you learn up-to-date evidence-based content and knowledge through life experiences. This podcast is perfect for athletes, coaches, parents of athletes, or any active person looking to improve their fitness or athletic ability. So please have a listen and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to No Week Links. I'm your host, Patrick Wood, and today I have on Ashley Jones, who is currently the head of performance at the Houston Sabercats MLR team. Um, I've listened to a couple of podcasts as Ashley read his work on Elite FTS and, um, just uh, got connected actually with my rugby coach with him, so he's have a, had a lot of experience in rugby and strength and conditioning. Um, so appreciate you being on, Ashley. Uh, if you just want to start off by telling everyone, maybe introducing yourself a little bit, uh, telling uh, kind of how you got into strength and conditioning, uh, how you got into rugby, past strength and conditioning history, and current position.
1: Okay, Patrick, thank you very much. Um, it's always a great uh, honor and privilege to be uh, asked to uh, speak on a podcast. So. I don't uh, take them lightly and uh, hopefully um, your listeners can hear a few things that uh, may assist them along the way uh, in this industry of ours in strength and conditioning and more specifically in, in rugby. Um, I guess I played rugby from an early age, uh, eight years of age was when I uh, my father took me down and my brother for our first uh, sign up for the DY Lions in Sydney, Australia. And um, from there progressed through the junior ranks and was fortunate I matured early, so I was um, a more uh, a physical presence on the, on the rugby field and never really had the skills and uh, peaked at about 16 and uh, fell away from there and uh, tried to maintain that for a few more years playing club rugby in Sydney for the Warringah Rats and um, unfortunately had a couple of shoulder injuries and was starting to do physical education training uh, as my, my first uh, degree. And realised that uh, the only way to keep involved with sport, and particularly rugby, the one I loved the most, was to uh, move into strength and conditioning. After reading the NSCA journal in my probably my first or second week of teachers' college, and found this whole new world of strength and conditioning, which I'd never heard of before. And uh, well, obviously, wasn't very big in Australia or or that time of the year, which was what 1978-79. So uh, it was just coming to fruition with uh, Boyd Epley in in University of Nebraska. So um, from there, everything moved along and decided that uh, this is where I wanted to spend uh, a career, working in strength and conditioning for sports. And uh, now I find myself living in uh, Houston, Texas for seven or eight months of the year when COVID-19 is not around and um, having a wonderful time working with a great group of people and in a new environment working in, uh, in Houston.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, and then having a lot of experience and being in the profession from, from the very beginning. Uh, maybe now just talk a little bit about kind of uh, your current position with the Sabercats and what you do there.
1: Um, as I said, I'm, I'm currently with the Houston Sabercats uh, with the title of Head of Performance. There really is myself and Josh Schnell, who was my uh, Head of Sports Science working this year in uh, the Houston Sabercats. Josh handles all the sports science related as- aspects of the performance with uh, GPS and our wellness and well-being tracking on a on a regular basis, and I basically look after the the strength and conditioning side of the business uh, with his assistance in in certain areas. So, in, as far as that's concerned, it's it's basically like any standard strength and conditioning program, I guess. Uh, we are looking at uh, a fairly rugby specific uh, program, and I think that's been the most important aspect of me moving to the United States is to, to look at rugby-specific strength and conditioning, not just strength and conditioning per se. So I guess having worked around the world in, in rugby over the last 15-odd um, years, it's trying to bring all those elements of different environments, different programs to to refine and to to match up with the, the level of the players that we currently have and also to ensure that the performance is based around game day come Saturday and uh, not just looking at numbers in the gym or fitness tests or things like that. It's it's all about ensuring that we have a, a game day performance uh, come Saturday.
0: Mm-hmm. And then you kind of sent me some of your programs. So I really appreciated, And I was able to look through um, and kind of see, see what you do um, and just kind of uh, – seeing other people's programs as well it seems like you obviously has a, a big kind of west side conjugate style of um influence um do you kind of want to maybe talk a little bit about that because i know you're also involved with the lead fts and dave tate and all that as well so um maybe just talk a little bit how that's kind of influenced your programming some
1: yeah i guess um i came to the west side probably back in the mid 90s and i was working in rugby league in australia back in those days and I'd been raised, as most of us of that generation were, with a, a Matveyev, Bompa, Verkhoshansky, traditional Soviet-based periodization, working um, in phases going from, say, a hypertrophy phase into a strength phase, into a, a power phase, into a peaking phase, into a maintenance phase, all that traditional style. And the conjugate style that Westside was utilising with their programming just just seemed to make sense in the fact that obviously if you've prioritised hypertrophy training for a block of a month and then you transition into more of a strength phase and then into a peaking phase, you lose quite a considerable amount of the hypertrophy that you developed in the first place. So in looking at that and listening to that, and and I'd always been an advocate of, if I want to learn something about a particular area, I want to go to the best people developing that particular trait in the first place. So if you want to learn how to make people strong, you go to Westside, the strongest mm-hmm. gym in the world. So having read everything in uh, Powerlifting USA back in those days and um, – then looking at um, how I can apply that to rugby. I think the most important thing with, with anything, it doesn't matter what particular type of training program that you come across, um, whether it's uh, Jim Vendler's programs or or even Nautilus or any other sort of program, you have to find out how it can be applicable to the sport you're actually working with. So. Looking at, and I think the big mistake that some trainers make if they try to adopt a west side conjugate style of programming is the fact that obviously that's specifically targeting powerlifting. So if you're looking at, say, a bench shirt lifter, obviously the triceps are exceptionally important in lockout strength for using a bench shirt when you're actually lifting It tends to de-emphasise the work off the chest, so the shirt takes care of that and you end up working the lockout strength. But again, we obviously don't have that within rugby, so we have to look at slightly higher repetitions, slightly different exercise selections. I mean, having looked at the number of specialty bars you can now access, (laughs) I've actually moved more and more away from a straight bar as far as using that in any of my training programs. And I think the variety which you've touched on in the introduction is ensuring that we have options available for, for people who are banged up from, from years of playing the sport. So I will tend to program an American press bar or football bar as my bench press movement rather than a traditional straight bar. And I think mm. people get hung up on on strength records from either powerlifting or Olympic lifting and say, well, what percentage of the world record are you? Which is, which is pretty cool, I guess, so you get, a, you get an idea. But when you're looking at that, I mean, obviously you need to be strong to play any sport. Mm. But do you need to be able to squat three times your body weight to be an effective rugby player? Um, and if you're currently squatting double body weight and a half, for example, the amount of time to take you to triple body weight when you've got other areas that you need to concentrate on seems to be chasing a goal that's not applicable to the sport you actually play. So mm-hmm. I think that's where you can't hang on to one type of training and just put all your eggs in one basket for say, I mean, you look at the work of... Um, Dan Baker and um, other people around the world on, on and Chris, obviously, on velocity-based training. Um, again, that makes great sense as well for rugby because it's all about rate of force development. So in that regard, any sort of rate of force development work is going to transfer really, really nicely across into rugby as well. But you need to have a sufficient strength base to actually work with that as well. So they were all intermingled. Um we at the Saber are in a situation where we're still trying to develop our base strength. So variations on West Side and and maximal strength training is where we currently are. We're not at a at a point where we need to move towards velocity based training at this particular point in time. So we're still, I mean, that that's the top end of the the performance uh, tree, if you like, or the pyramid, if you like. We're still trying to make the base broader and stronger. And uh, then over time, um, yeah, we can actually shift across more towards the Vostabias training and and more of that icing on the cake, but we've still got to bake our cake yet.
0: Mm -hmm. And then maybe uh, talking a little bit more kind of about the um, specifics of – that um conjugate program i know you're the west side style so i know you talked about making sure you you know you're not just training strength and then you lose the strength and you're kind of training it all at once but um, i know they have like they have max effort days dynamic effort days and kind of explaining the difference of those and the purposes of those throughout programming
1: yeah sure specifically with the conjugate system some players i really want to emphasize a max effort day and this will change between the off season and, and the preseason and the in season i mean The important thing is, obviously, in season, we have the game to focus on. And if we're trying to push max effort uh, for two sessions a week and then go to a um, dynamic effort for two sessions a week, we're probably not going to leave a light in the tank for for game day. So I've been writing specific programs for the conjugate club at uh, Westside Barbell and trying to manipulate the typical west side template in order to say, well, if speed and power is the deficient area that you need to work on, so trying to individualise the programme, then we can actually look at two specific days for a dynamic effort, but then just combine upper body, lower body on one maximal effort day to ensure that we're leaving energy in the tank to look at our speed development and also our our metabolic development as well. Obviously, in a traditional conjugate west side style program, you're preparing people to be as strong as they possibly can in the power lifts. So we need to take that in consideration in that there is only just so much adaptive energy within people at the one given time. So when we're concurrently trying to work on Improvements in physical size if a player is not adequately big enough to play the position well. We look at speed development, acceleration, maximum velocity, change of direction. We look at metabolic systems, we look at aerobic systems, we look at anaerobic systems, we look at lactate tolerance. So the whole jigsaw puzzle of performance needs to be pushed towards an individual's needs. So when we're developing a a west side conjugate, it'll it'll look at the needs-based aspects of the performance. And a lot of times we might get by with just combining one day of maximal effort, one day of dynamic effort, and that could be it for the pre-season week. In our off-season, we'll have those four full days a week. So we can actually say, right, we'll go more traditional as far as the actual template is concerned, Using slightly higher reps because I don't think we need to work down to to max singles in um, say the max effort system, or we might adapt a Vendler five three one, or we might ad- adapt that even to a six four two, or even a Dan John eight six four. I mean, they're all really good models to actually allow you to be specific as far as what you're trying to achieve uh, with the rugby rugby performance programs. So, and again, I have different programs for different individuals across the board. So, if there's one from, say, more of a hypertrophy development, that could involve doing some targeted body part extras at the end of every workout. If it's more a, what I refer to as a neural type system of training, which is more speed and power, Uh, that could be the priority. So we'll hit speed and power first, then go to maximal strength, then finish off with some um, uh, repetition uh, methodology, say, uh, with uh, specific body parts. Or it could be more like, and I really like the Joe Ken tier system, because I love the way Joe Ken works in saying that it's easy to be dynamic in the opening minutes of the first quarter. It's not so easy to be dynamic in the final couple of minutes of the last quarter in American football, for example. So again, with rugby being a continuous activity sport, obviously the power production is going to decrease over a period of time. So we need to be sometimes putting more of our explosive type movements at the end of our strength program, which goes against say traditional Olympic lifting philosophies where you do your your fast explosive movements first and then work towards your slower um, strength movements towards the end. But again, it's taking all the elements of all those different programs and then putting them into what you require to get the best out of your people come game day. So irrespective of the work that you're actually doing, whether it's Westside, and obviously I'm wearing a Westside jacket here at the moment, um, or it's... Jim Schmidt's Olympic lifting programs or Tommy Kono's Olympic lifting programs. For me, the most important thing is developing a philosophy of training with all those different methods available to you. Mm-hmm. And I think young coaches and young trainers, trainees as well, suffer from trying too many different things too quickly and not allowing a period of time for you to develop a knowledge of that particular training system. And I've termed that uh, program promiscuity. So you're continually jumping from program to program rather than being monogamous with a program for a period of time to see if that program actually works for you. Because... Mm. It's really hard to to get any adaptation to a program if every three or four weeks you're jumping to another program. So, and there are so many different programs out there, you you can actually trial quite a few over a period of time and saying, well, yeah, this Westside conjugate really works for me. And I think you'll find it will. Um, obviously, the volume needs to be adjusted in some situations, and but that's all... The tinkering and fine-tuning that either the trainer you're working with will do or you yourself as a trainee will fix up. So, um, But give something time enough. And I, and I see it every day. I mean, I train in a commercial gym when I'm back here in Christchurch. And it's it's amazing the number of times you see people flip from program to program to program and they don't give an it any a chance. And all they'll They'll pull some new program off Instagram and, and give it a go and they don't realize the development of the program along the way. So uh, it's important, I think, to to get the, the knowledge of time and looking back over time and looking at some of those older programs. That I mean, the first book I ever got on strength training was The Strongest Shall Survive by Bill Starr. And it's still as relevant today as it was back in the late 1970s when it was first released. And if you follow that for a period of time, you're going to make some solid gains. So, again, even before that, Reg Park. Reg Park's five sets of five, which obviously the the, um, Strongest Shall Survive is based upon as well. Um, They provide great historical fact that something works. So my programming tends to be Westside meets strongman implement training meets Olympic lifting, but it's all pulled together and then saying, right, for you at this present point in time, what do you as a rugby player need to do to be a better rugby player?
0: Yeah. And then I guess, yeah, this is a good point of bringing it in, making sure you are continuously trying a program and not just jumping from program to program. Um, and then also, yeah, just not sticking to one and that's being the only method and being able to, uh, kind of take things throughout the years, obviously from a little bit from each program. Um, do you maybe want to talk a little bit about, uh, what, you kind of just some main focuses of each sort of specific goal so i know obviously as i said you like to combine them all in one but if you're doing um, a little bit more hypertrophy or if you're doing a little bit more strength and power or your metabolic type stuff maybe kind of your main focuses that um you like to to implement throughout those uh main goals
1: yeah i think i think this year i'm going to change tack a little bit with my group (laughs) um because in the past and i'll I'll still do this where I have an interview with every player and I'll be an ongoing saying, well, for you, Patrick, you play a particular position. What do you think you need to focus on? You've had the experiences of different trainers over time. You've been in different organisations. What is your primary goal of training for this particular off-season? And it could be I want to get faster or I think I'm adequately strong enough, uh, size-wise I'm good, I need to get a bit stronger, so okay, let's prioritise the speed. So that may require three speed sessions a week for you to get that adaptation occurring. Again, we're working within that pre-season, off-season plan, so we may need to drop you from three from four strength sessions down to three speed uh, strength sessions in order to get your three speed sessions. How's your aerobic fitness? Is that good enough for your position you play? Okay, good. We can actually take one of your aerobic sessions away and we can give you that third speed session without having to worry about uh, losing or inability to recover for the next session. So I think that's important. But I also this particular preseason, I want to go look at neural training for the group. I'll look at mechanical training, which will be size and strength, and also I want to look at metabolic training with circuits and the related activities associated with that. In the past, I would have prioritised, okay, you're going to be more neural dominant, so you're going to be more um, the velocity end of the curve, if we're talking about surfing the curve, the great Paul Comfort term from, from his research, um, looking at the, the velocity end of the curve, or maybe you are more looking at the more force end of the curve. So I want to integrate all those different areas of the curve, and also the metabolic aspect to give these guys uh, a much harder pre-season than they've had previously. Now, in the past, again, if a person needs to add size, we need to look at volume, hypertrophy is volume. So we need to look at volume training, and it's really, really hard to look at volume training on the lower body when you're trying to look at probably doing 15 to 19 kilometres of relatively intense running work at the same time. Mm -hmm. So for me, I've always been a strength and power lower body and then looking at armour plating. I love that terminology for calling hypertrophy for upper body. Armour plating the upper body, which you can actually target all throughout the training year. And I've had guys who have played on a Saturday but have done an an armour plating upper body workout on the Friday, the day before. So Mm -hmm. it's much easier to do that, obviously, than trying to to hit lower body. Although there's some fantastic lower body hypertrophy training, you have to ensure that it's not going to impact on their running volume or their intensity or lead to injury. So, if I've got a person who generally overall needs to improve their size, and obviously any training on lower body is going to be anabolic for the entire body, I believe. So a heavy squat session is going to have an anabolic effect on the arms and and the neck and everything. So we might do a, a front squat, back squat failure program the last thing on a Friday and then give them the weekend off. Because mm-hmm. if you've ever done front squats to failure straight into back squats to failure, you know you're not going to think about running for the next 48, 72 hours. So to try and program that sometime during the week, it's going to be impossible. So, so little things like that. Um, you need to tweak the program. In the past, it could be like... Upper body days, we'll have a second upper body workout for the guys who need to increase muscle size in the upper body. So if we were working more on, say, a -a four-day-a-week upper-lower split-style program, you might find that, say, Monday and Thursday would be your lower body, which would be strength and power-based. Tuesday, Friday would be upper body, but AM might be more strength and power for the upper body. PM might be more strength and size for the upper body. So we're looking at potentially looking at six um, six workouts a week for those particular people trying to increase mass. At the same time, someone's looking at speed and power. We might get by with just three full body workouts a week with them. And last preseason, we did three full body workouts, and and I think we got some really solid gains. That's probably the first time I've gone to three. Uh, full body workouts a week for quite a while And I think that's For a lot of the majority of the team I think that's probably where we'll end up going again After we've actually given people a taste Of all these different type of uh, training things And I'm more than happy to share those Programs with anyone if they contact me And I think they'll be well, they'll Appearing in an article in Elite FTS In the not too distant future as well So uh, I'd say look out for those uh, Probably around July or August I think
0: mm-hmm. And and then maybe uh what about some uh, differences that you do uh, preseason to in season? To where I know, like preseason, obviously you're trying to hit maybe more of your goals and, and progress towards that. And in season, you obviously want to keep doing that, but you also want to make sure they're ready to play game day and available for selection. So, uh, kind of, what are the main differences you try to implement throughout those uh, preseason versus in season training?
1: Yeah, they're really good questions because the when you look at the preseason in season type mix, I mean. Obviously, at the moment, everyone's in a, a really, really extended off-season. So everyone's got this massive window of opportunity to improve their their strength, their size, their metabolic, and, and I'm asking my guys to, to do a regular Bronco test, which is a 20-back, 40-back, 60-back continuous shuttle for five times, so a 1.2-kilometer shuttle. So... We try and get one done every two, two and a half months so we get an idea of where people are still with their aerobic fitness. But I'm, I'm actually sending programs to the guys who are saying, well, try something way different for a wee while. Why don't you look at doing a 5 one protocol with the Vendler, pure Vendler method, because we're not, we're not gearing towards rugby at the moment. So you can actually have some fun and go off the reservation type deal and really work on those particular areas of, of training. So, but when we get back into pre-season, we're going to obviously target more towards direct rugby. So, the differences I've seen more in, in some programs, I hate that word maintenance. Because for me, if you start trying to maintain something, you're actually decreasing. this. I've never seen someone maintain that well over a course of rugby season. I think what you're still trying to do come game is trying to increase elements of all the biomotor qualities, but you've increased them at a far decreased rate than pre-season because you're still trying to focus in on, on the game, obviously, come on, came the Saturday. So my programs will attempt to improve people throughout the course of the 12 months of the year. But we may not get the significant gains that we do in pre-season, where we don't have to recover from a game and and obviously prepare for a game at the back end of the week. The exercise selection is very similar. Uh, There's always a lot of variety in my programming so that people can actually choose the exercises that they feel they might they get their most bang for their buck out of. So, and we're in the process of developing our new training facility in, in Houston as well. So we'll have a, a wide range of uh, specialty bars and exercise selection opportunities. And we may have, uh, similar to a club I used to work at in the past, we might have 37 different lower body exercises that a player can actually select from. They may only have five that they concentrate on over the course of a a training uh, period, but we may have 37 different options for that person to actually utilise, which I think is extremely important in in looking at, as Louis Simmons would say, overcoming weaknesses. And that's important when you're looking at different elements. When we get someone strong they could then find this. There's, there's a weak link somewhere else along that kinetic chain that we need to actually work on. And for me, rugby players, it's improved significantly, but you still have a lot of posterior chain issues that you need to put a lot of time into. And and obviously, when you've got all the metabolic work we do and all the sp- uh, speed and power work we do, you have to target that meta- that posterior chain at times where it's not going to potentially lead to injury. So, again, the differences between your in-season and your pre-season type programming, you're under the pump time-wise in-season all the time. So mm-hmm. we need to sort of probably look at micro-dosing opportunities. And it could be that on, a say, a Tuesday, when every rugby aspect is done, Particularly if you've got the Wednesday off, if that's a tradition, you, the, the traditional week plan that you follow, or conversely, if it's a Thursday off, the Wednesday could be where you throw that um, extra work on, say, posterior chain work right at the end of that particular training session. It might just be you're going to do, say, three sets of glute ham raises, for example. So for the next twenty-four hours, you don't need to do any running so you don't have to worry about any injury potential. But that could be the last thing they do, and it could just be a standalone posterior chain workout when they've come off the rugby field, and our our training facility will be right on the rugby field, drop your boots at the door, put your lifting shoes on, come in the gym, do a micro dose of posterior chain work, and then go to locker room. Finished. So it's trying to find those windows where you can actually put all those little pieces that need to be put in, for each player. So I think in-season is all about what does each individual player need to do in order to play the best they can on Saturday. So it's all that, which I've called in the past the holy grail of sports programming, is the individualisation within the team environment. So obviously the the rugby side of things is etched in stone. That's got to be done. But everything else, there's options attached to them. Are you going to need to do that second speed session for a week? Are you going to need to do another weight training session for the week? Are you going to do a bit of another metabolic session? Is an off-feet conditioning session going to be better for you than an on-feet conditioning session? Is that on-feet conditioning session going to be more lactate based or is it going to be more aerobic based so they're all the that's what i love about this game and the whole team environment in that that's what i missed when i wasn't wasn't doing the team environment was that every single person you have to have that one-on-one with you can't just blanket the training program and say right everyone's going to do this Elements will be fairly similar, and you might start grouping people together, saying, okay, you four guys, we need to do a little bit more metabolic work with you, so we're going to do a VO2 grid, for example. Um, or uh, you all need to do a little bit more lactate work, so we might just do a, a high lactate session. And then you try to get these little subgroups, and that's why it's difficult at times when you are either running the program by yourself, particularly like if you are in a club rugby environment. could be you by yourself trying to run 35 or 40 guys. And that's why you've got to rely on leaders within your group and also some of your, uh, your fellow coaches to assist you and saying, okay, you all just need to run a stopwatch for me. So I'm going to give you the stopwatch duty in every, every 15 seconds. They might be doing a 15-on, 15 15-off 15 Eurofit-style uh, running session. So basically you're calling out for them and and no one can mess that up so you can give that to anyone to run, whereas some of the more detailed sessions you might want to run yourself because you know that uh, it, you need to fine tune it and modify on the run as well, which is the important thing and I think that's the biggest difference between preseason and uh, uh, in season you've got so much more time in the preseason
0: yeah and and I think that's a really good point too of of having the different um, specific programs for each one. Because I do think a lot of times, or sometimes, you know, you, you just give that one big blanket program as you're saying to people. But if you don't have that specific one, you're not probably gonna get the best adaptations for each player. So I guess in general, do, do you have a, like an average, I know it's going to obviously be different with every team and every season, but do you have an average of how many different programs you have going on at once and, and kind of to any tips for, um, I guess, how to manage that as a coach, but also then how to, uh, I guess, be organized with the players as well?
1: Yeah, I mean, we had a squad of 35 last season. So I'd like to say we had 35 different programs running concurrently. And I'd say that every single program probably was slightly different, and it could just come down to exercise selection slightly different. But it could be that these guys needed to do, say, four metabolic sessions a week. And there could have been some metabolic extras at the end of trainings. And all these are running concurrently. So, again, we had a great group of guys in saying we had a couple of guys that had to do a metabolic block at the end of every training session because their fitness level was fairly poor. But the whole group used to stay around to make sure these guys finished and finished well and supported them along the way, which was great camaraderie as far as the group was concerned. So I think being the holy grail of individualisation, I'd love to say I had 35 totally different programmes, but I try and group people with similar needs together to work together and to sort of bounce off each other and and a competitive environment is a very, very important thing as far as getting the best out of people is concerned. So the book I wrote a few years ago looking at um, engineering performance for rugby in that, that neural, mechanical and metabolic. So we try and look at the focus. The first focus might be the neural system but they also might be suffering metabolic issues as well. So that program becomes a neurometabolic program. So number one priority, number two priority. Or it could be mechanical as their, their optimal and neural as the secondary. So that's a mechano, mechanoneural type program. So you can break all those down. And there was I wrote an article on Elite FTS not long ago that looked at those, I think it was something like 11 or 12 different program permutations that you can put into place. Utilizing a a wide range of exercise selections. I mean, looking at your basic programming, you've got say, and I I really do like the work of Dan John, you've got a a lower body push, which is more say knee based, which is more say squat based, lower body pull, which is more hinge based, upper body push, upper body pull. Now, if you can break up, upper body push and pull into vertical horizontal plane if you want to go down that route, or you just leave it at that, and you've got a loaded carry to finish. So you've got five exercises, but we can actually manipulate those five exercises looking at set schemes, rep schemes, intensity levels. Um, we could run them as a peripheral hard action circuit if we wanted to look at motivation, uh, sorry, metabolic type aspects as a as a metabolic program. Um or we could run them as standalone straight sets or we could put them as supersets. So again the same picture can be modified and changed.
0: I guess what about um for I know you said that players would um pick the exercises a lot uh or or they they kinda have more of a, a choice of exercises Correct. And so, what um, what do you? How do you inform players, or is, or do you just literally say, "There's, you know, there's, you know, the first exercise is this. uh, You have these three to choose from." Or how do you kind of recommend players? Because obviously they know their bodies really well, especially at that level of rugby, and they went through you know so many injuries and they've trained for so long. So, is there any guidance that you like to give them, um, other than just pick these three exercises, or is it pretty much they should they should know at that point?
1: Well, it's it's interesting because some players like a more directive approach whereas other players like the more laissez-faire approach where they get to be they get to be their own strength coach for example and sometimes it's interesting that the least sorry the most experienced players tend to want you to tell them right today you're going to do this this and this because they often have and often they're the team leaders, they might be team captain, they've got other things they need to consider, not just the gym session. So they don't want to have that that level of choice because it just, it just sometimes confuses them. So, and it's funny because I had a player this year that was very, very like that and he said, I appreciate you giving him the opportunity to choose, but I just need you to tell me what you want me to do. And... It's funny, after all these years, I found that program really, really difficult to write myself. I find it a lot easier to develop the, the broader perspective, if you like, of saying, right, for, and what I've done in the past, when I was with Edinburgh, we had a wonderful strength coach by the name of Mark Keys, and we worked a lot in saying, right, for the players, this is the category these are all the options we have in the gym that we currently have, please pick for you the best top five exercises. So we did that across our playing group and we came up with averages and and very similar, the players were, were pretty good in saying, right, the top five movements were for a squat based movement were these. Mm-hmm. So they were the ones we delimited to and then basically, right, these are the ones I want you to choose from. And again, again, where specialty bars come into play so much or uh, whatever aspect you have, there wasn't too many straight bar squats in that. It could be a safety bar squat. It could be a cambered bar squat. It could be um, a duffalo bar, um, a box squat versus a, a normal, say, like a free squat. Um, so they're the options. And we'd have bands and chains and weight releases and and elements such as that. So we might only have five different movements and then I feel fairly confident that, yep, any one of those five is going to improve strength. The the manipulation occurs when you say, right, and I like rolling three to four-week blocks within the course of the training year. I want you to change, again, similar to conjugate, I want you to change the exercise you do every block of training, whether it's a three-week block or a four-week block. And that's aspect of the conjugate training I really like in that we don't really need to deload in that situation because the change in exercise allows us a new three-week pattern of increased intensity over time. So again, it's like traditional periodization meets conjugate style periodization within the actual confines of a team environment. So again, it's <clears throat> breaking down what you want out of a system and then putting it back into a new system.
0: Mm-hmm. And those, those are all great points, especially on the, the strength side and the and the gym side more, I guess. Uh, just for for conditioning, and I know you kind of have that metabolic part as well. That's sort of part of your conditioning, but just I'd say field-based conditioning. Um, do you do anything? Um, I had a look at you know some stuff you sent. Do you, are you kind of a big proponent as well as making that as much like in practice stuff um, and just kind of working with coaches to make, the, make sure the drills are getting out what they need in, in kind of the running um, and then incorporating a little bit uh, more at the end? Or do you like to do uh, full conditioning sessions kind of outside? Um, and it probably depends on what are, the season part you're in as well. But I guess just conditioning wise, how, how do you like to go about it?
1: Yeah, I guess we start every season with a aerobic test. And in the past, the 2.4 kilometer, 1.5 uh, mile time trial was my go-to exercise to use for example players in the off season may have done very little players may have done uh, quite a lot or some players might have just done enough to get by that particular test allows me just to run them on a track and even if they've done nothing they may have to walk a bit of that to actually finish uh, a 1.5 mile There's so many good aerobic tables from that and gives you a good average uh, aerobic speed to actually do a lot of programming off and from there I do all my interval work and all that. More so these days, I've gone towards more the Bronco test which we talked about earlier. I've used a yo-yo test in the past. I've used a a 20-metre shuttle um, multi-stage test, the beep test, over the years. What I don't like about the shuttle-style tests is the fact that Players have not done very little, if at all, change of direction work in their off-season. So if you jump straight into a change of direction test, even though it's an aerobic test, you often find they're pushing off that dominant leg all the time, which actually tends to overload um, the adductors and the abductors in the the lower leg. So there is a a slight risk. So that's why I originally went to a 1.5-mile run, which is just a continuous... Three, uh, six laps of a 400-metre track. The beauty of the Bronco test is you've got a rugby field and you can actually utilise the lines on the rugby field. So I've tended to use that more and more so, and you see a lot of programmes around the world will do that. So after we've got that initial aerobic test score, over the years we've developed um, a number of uh, position-specific norms associated with it. So we can actually get an idea of whether you need to do a lot more aerobic work or you can actually shift across into more anaerobic work to begin with. Because again, anaerobic work will help improve aerobic capacity, but you still need to develop a good, solid base of aerobic capacity in in the game of rugby. So the players will then be split, and we will do a combination of small-sided games, uh, VO2 grids, Anaerobic type drills and there's a wide range of different activities we can do as as standalone sessions. But obviously, we look at the rugby skills components are there as well, because with the access of uh, GPS which we have, and, and catapult sponsors our league GPS. So every every team in the uh, major league rugby has access to catapult, and will have its full. Uh, group uh, squad uh, program so you've got probably 35 monitors for each team so again we can get a lot of great information about that and we know from last season that a big week for us was about 24 kilometers so again when we're starting off training i want to jump in at about 60 percent of that and that could be too high for some players But hopefully they've done enough work, and and I'm sure this group has, looking at our scores and bits and pieces over the last few months, that we can just say, right, for the first week we're going to work at 60% of that big 24-kilometre week. So we have some defined um, metrics associated with the use of GPS. And then we can actually gradually increase that so that we are looking at acute chronic workload ratio so we're not actually overloading people too fast. But we want to get up to that over a period of four to five weeks of our preseason so that when we get to our Christmas break, we're actually hitting pretty much close to what a big week of training will be. And after we come back from Christmas break, we then go into more specific preseason work where we're introducing the games and practice matches and, and more rugby specific. So we can actually look at the volume and intensity of every training session based around our GPS metrics and then top up people along the way for that. So I would say before Christmas, and I've used this uh, phrase a lot in teams I've worked with in the Southern Hemisphere is we see MLR season is very close to Super Rugby. What we do before Christmas dictates where we finish in May, June. So we build the base We have more standalone metabolic sessions, anaerobic sessions in the before Christmas type program. After Christmas, because of the more interaction of the rugby-related activities, we need to build contact base and we build that prior to Christmas as well as leading into the the next block of training. But then we actually start looking at saying, right, okay, this player needs to do a little bit more metabolic work, so they might have a a 10 to 15 minute block of metabolic work post-training. We have conditioning games we use all the time as far as our small-sided games activities. Looking at what we want to get from those, we can get upwards of 160, 180 metres per minute from our some of our small-sided games. So if you're running a three-minute offside touch, 4v4 across the pitch, you can get probably 160-plus metres per minute from that particular group of players. So you're looking at quite a hit, of uh, high-intensity running. So looking at sort of manipulating the the number of high-intensity meters, high-speed running meters with your overall uh, aerobic training load, you can actually utilize that quite nicely. So probably the biggest difference is, again, coming back to individualization, is targeted extras throughout the course of the week leading into games. If a player is selected to play, then we can actually need to, uh, peaking towards the end of the week but if they're not selected to play we can actually give them another specific hit of metabolic work or whatever whatever it is they need to be considered for selection the following week if you like
0: mm-hmm. yeah okay that that makes sense um, I'd I... I want to be respectful of your time here. So maybe just uh, kind of finish off here with the last question of uh, what are your, would you say your biggest main summary points are uh, for, for training, for, I mean, rugby specifically. And then also, I mean, a lot of those, I guess more field contact based sports. Uh, what are your main focuses they think players and coaches should work on to, I mean, get the best um, focus on those big points, I guess.
1: Well, I guess I really love what um, Rusty Jones who used to be with the Buffalo Bills when Marv Levy was in charge. He was a strength and conditioning coach back in those days. I love the quote he uses. and He says that his job is to get the team bigger, faster, stronger, so that Coach Levy can teach them how to play the game. So, and it doesn't change much, irrespective of the sports you're actually working with. I mean, I've worked in pro basketball, pro rugby league, and pro rugby union. So even though rugby and rugby union, are, rugby league and rugby union are very close together in, in uh, nature, it didn't change that much in basketball. I mean, the pitch has got bigger over a period of time. Uh, but it's, it's first and foremost working, treating the athlete as the individual that person is, whether you work with males or females, team sports or individual sports. Every individual needs to be assessed on what they need to focus on as a a priority uh, to ensure that they become better at doing their sport. And I think Joe Ken says it's best as well in that remember that we're training, in my case, players in the gym to become better rugby players, not to become better deadlifters or bench pressers, but to utilise some of those elements to actually make them stronger so they become better rugby players. The minute we forget that, we actually start doing individuals a disservice as far as not preparing them well enough for their sport. The big rocks for me really are strength and power, metabolic underpinning, a, a, strong, uh, a strong metabolic base, so allowing us to, to work in, in heavy lactate concentrations and to ensure that we've got good acceleration. Mm-hmm. So awesome, in awesome. order to do that, we need just to make sure that every person in our group sits down with us and say, right, okay, yours is more acceleration-based program, yours is more maximal velocity-based program. Positions will dictate certain regards, but the individual overrides the over, overrides position as well. Mm-hmm.
0: Nice, really, really appreciate that, I really appreciate you being taking the time and being on the episode and sharing all this knowledge. Um, if if you want if you could just uh, maybe say, and I'll put this in the show notes so we can send this afterwards, and I'll put it in kind of a um, summary about the episode. But uh, where people can you know read your your info on Elite FTS, um, and either contact you or just leave comments, whatever you prefer, kind of on there.
1: Yeah, I guess the best place to uh, contact me is is through Elite FTS, so EliteFTS.com. Um, I've been a columnist with them for coming up seven years now, and uh, it's been a, a great privilege to be able to be involved with the great people there at Elite FTS and and also uh, have done some work writing for the Conjugate Club with Westside Barbell over the last uh, uh, 12 months. Uh, if you look at any of the articles on that website, there's comment sections, so you can actually just leave your comment. That comment's forwarded to me as well with uh, an individual email address, so I can actually follow up on anything, I'm, I pride myself in answering every email I get and trying to respond to every comment uh, I get on those particular uh, EliteFTS.com, and that's probably the best place to actually uh, contact me. Secondarily, that would be the uh, National Strength and Conditioning Association, and I've been a member of the NSCA, wow, uh, I've been a CSCS since 1980, uh, eight, 1988, so uh number of years in that involved now so um uh, that's also a way that people have contacted me in the past
0: awesome well, th- thanks again really appreciate it uh thanks for the knowledge and um thanks for being on
1: thanks very much very much appreciated, and and hopefully uh the listeners have uh picked up a couple of bits and pieces they may be able to use in their own training or training of others appreciate you thank you